Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. We continue our sermon series, John. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are gathered here together this morning to worship you. It is that simple. My prayer is that we continue to learn as a church to encourage one another to respond appropriately to who you've revealed yourself to be in your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Can anyone guess this beautiful location? Anyone? Can anyone guess this beautiful location? Anybody know where this is? Cape Coral. Beautiful Cape Coral, Florida. A city developed by Jack and Leonard Rosen back in 1957. The Rosens are credited with developing the land, but before they could develop the land, they had to hire an engineering firm. And when they hired that engineering firm out of Miami, titled Radar and Associates, they went to draw up the development plans and realized that Cape Coral couldn't just be developed as is. No, Cape Coral had to be risen five and a half feet above sea level in order for homes to be constructed on Cape Coral. Now, though Cape Coral is beautiful, and we know that it is, some would say, and we're going to look at this next aerial view of Cape Coral, Some would actually say that Cape Coral, from a bird's eye perspective, looks like the motherboard on a computer. And I can see the resemblance. I love the old ad, by the way. That's one of the original ads, you know, advertising people to buy homes and property in Cape Coral, Florida. See, Radar and Associates recommended an elevation of five and a half feet above sea level to build. So what they had to do was invest in $12 million back in 1957 to buy earth-moving equipment. They dredged, and what they did with what they dredged, this submerged earth, they relocated all of the earth They sucked out the dirt and they relocated it with hydraulic pumps. And this redistribution created the vast system of canals that we have today, hence the picture and the motherboard that you're looking at. Cape Coral has a significant amount of canals running through it. And these canals act like an open conduit. They allow water to drain to the mangroves for filtration, and they allow boats to travel through them so people can get out into the Gulf of Mexico. Do you get my point here? Cape Coral and all its canals provides homeowners or people at boat launches opportunities to get their boat through the channels out into the Gulf. Brothers and sisters, This is how the gospel is engineered. Our witness about Jesus Christ to others is the conduit in which He uses to bring others to Him. We are the canal in which people travel to meet Him. However, we must remember something. It's always through us, but never is it by us. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The Disciples' Testimony. The Disciples' Testimony. Today we're going to be 
finishing John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 35 through 51. But before we do just that, we need to remember last week we focused on John's testimony of Jesus as the Messiah. That was the focal point. We were encouraged to know that Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus is the one who saves repentant sinners. This is important as it coincides with John's ministry With John's baptism, the baptism in repentance, we realize that Jesus and His ministry and His subsequent baptism is in the Holy Spirit. We come to a saving faith in Jesus and He gives us His Spirit who lives in our hearts. He lives in us, not Jesus. Jesus does not live in us. His Holy Spirit lives within us. Today we will see the direct result of John the Baptist's testimony. That's really what we're going to see today. We're going to see the direct result of John's testimony of who Jesus is. And we're going to see where John's disciples became disciples of Jesus. It's right there, plain and simple. Brothers and sisters, this is the disciples' testimony. Let's go ahead and get into the Word without any more being said. John chapter 1, verse 35 through 51. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law, and the prophets also wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good be from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Where is true, he is, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Amen. As we look to put these verses into one sentence, that sentence simply states this as our main idea this morning. Followers of Jesus testify that He is Messiah. Followers of Jesus testify that He is 
Messiah. Now, we begin by turning the attention from our first testimony right here in verse 35 to the testimony now of John the Baptist to the testimony of two of John's disciples. We've heard John's testimony that Jesus is Messiah, but immediately what happens here in John? We go from hearing that John proclaiming that Jesus is Messiah to him now being used as that open conduit, as that channel to his two disciples, to them now testifying the same. See, his testimony, now that's John's testimony, comes before anyone else's testimony. His has to come first, and there's a couple reasons for this. First, we established the first part in the beginning of this chapter. John the Baptist, if you remember, said by Jesus himself that John is a good witness. So, again, what made John a good witness? Well, what made John a good witness is the exact same thing that can make us an excellent witness, and it's precisely this. A good witness is someone who preaches repentance. You know, that turning away from your sin and then turning back towards God, that repentance. That's what made John a good witness. In Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2, it says that in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what made him a, a great witness. That's what can make us a great witness. Secondly, he already had followers. He already had followers. He already had disciples. He already had men who knew repentance. They already knew repentance. And because they already knew repentance, they would know the Messiah when they saw Him. And just like those canals in Cape Coral, again, He was channeling His disciples to Jesus. Not by Him, but through Him by way of repentance. So when John, as it says here, looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God, his two disciples followed Jesus. And that's back in our verses right there in 35 because they were already following him. Brothers and sisters, who's following you? Who? Who's following you? Or we could ask, who's followed you. Or we could say, who will follow you? As you follow Jesus. The model set by John the Baptist is the same model set for us. In fact, our model is set through John the Baptist. See, John wasn't trying to build his own empire. He wasn't making it all about himself, just like the sinfulness within a man would, because we're really good at that, aren't we? We're really good at, you know, naturally taking every situation in life and just, you know, somehow just always finding a way to make the situation all about us. We don't see John trying to do that, do we? As we were reminded by Pastor Jared, John said, I need to make myself less so we can make him more. And that him being Jesus. He wasn't here to build his own empire. He knew his job was to preach repentance and point people towards Jesus. 
And he was preaching repentance and the kingdom that was coming. So think about that as I read this to you from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when we look at verses 38 and 39 here, we observe in verse 38, there are two observations to take note of. First, Jesus turned and saw them following as it says. Now, that's significant because in the first century, disciples or learners or followers, they could all be called the same, literally followed their teacher or their rabbi around and learned from the words and actions of their mentor. Therefore, evidence that John's two disciples were properly channeled to Jesus is confirmed when they ask this question right here, when they ask, Rabbi, where are you staying? Jesus responds and He says, come and you will see. The disciples did in fact, as it says, came and saw where He was staying and stayed with Him that day. Brothers and sisters, we know that repentance comes at a price. It does. Repentance comes at a price. I mean, it's a price that we should all be willing to pay because really, what are we giving up? We're just giving up temporal, fleshly pleasures that are fleeting, that don't last anyway. We're giving those things up that feel good for like a nanosecond for all of eternity. So it does come at a cost. But also it's the price that we're talking about here that would be considered, you know, the price of denying oneself and this life now because we know that our best life is yet to come. For the purpose of gaining eternal life through Jesus. But, but come on, really, do they really understand what they're getting themselves in here when they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi, where are you staying? Well, Let's be reminded really quick of where Jesus actually was staying. We're going to go ahead and throw this on the screen for you from Luke chapter 9, verse 58. God's Word tells us, Jesus Himself says, And Jesus said to them, The foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Brothers and sisters, what price are you willing to pay in order to follow Jesus. What price? Are you willing to pay the price of not having a hole or be like a bird that has a nest in the sky to give all that up? To give it all up to follow Jesus who has nowhere to lay his head? And I'm okay that Jesus has nowhere to lay his head on this earth because Jesus didn't come preaching a ministry about this earth and this life. No. He came preaching eternal life, an eternal kingdom. He came preaching a new heavens and a new earth. We should be willing to give all of this up. I don't know about you, but I don't think I would follow a king that had a visible kingdom. I mean, they're out there. You can find them. 
You can find those who are preaching the gospel of a physical kingdom here and now. That health, wealth, blab it, grab it, name it, claim it, whatever. No. We follow Christ who always points us to eternal life. No wonder why John first came preaching repentance. Makes all the sense in the world to me because if he hadn't, his disciples would have never stayed with Jesus that day. See, they already knew repentance. And that's why they asked the question and that's why they stayed. And as we look at verses 40 through 42, we close out the next day which is really the first day with Jesus. However, not before Andrew, as it says, Simon Peter's brother, goes and retrieves Simon Peter and says, we have found the Messiah, who Jesus immediately changes his name. He says, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, which means rock, which Peter was hardly a rock at the time. Remember the rock that Peter was prior to? Remember what Peter did? You will deny me three times. And exactly what did Peter do? He denied Jesus three times. But it was after Pentecost. It was after Pentecost. That was Jesus right after his crucifixion or leading into his crucifixion. Right around that time. But then after Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and Pentecost happened, that's when he became the rock within the church in Jerusalem. See, Simon Peter was not known for his consistency leading up to this. It had been said that Simon Peter was usually the first one in and then the first one out. I guess you could say that he made promises that he had a hard time keeping. But the Lord shaped, the Lord molded him into the rock the early church needed. He wasn't the first to follow John the Baptist. His brother was. It was his brother that brought him to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we can all identify with Peter now, can't we? Every last one of us can identify with Peter. We all need to be shaped and molded. Every last one of us. Therefore, we should all be encouraged by what we're seeing here in the text because in the work that Christ can do within anyone is on display right here, especially as it pertains to a guy like Simon being turned into the church's Peter, a.k.a. being turned into the church's rock. And this brings us to our first point this morning. The church is comprised of followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus. The church is comprised of followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus. That is our goal here at Villa's Grace Church. We want to be about building relationships that make followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus, who make followers of Jesus, who make followers of Jesus. At the end of the day, if we could look back at anything that would be considered successful, it'd be just that. And last time I checked, just like I wouldn't want to follow somebody who has a visible kingdom here on this earth now, when you make followers of Jesus, sometimes all of them aren't always visible because it's not about us. God works through us, never by us. Again, our main idea this morning states this. Followers of Jesus testify that He is Messiah. As we continue on to verse 43 through 46, we begin the next day now. 
The day after, the two followers of John, one of which was Andrew, and the third Andrew's brother, Simon Peter, immediately here, though, in verse 43, there's a significant gospel truth that we cannot overlook. It says this, it says, He found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. Again, what does it say there in 43? He found Philip. The kingdom finds us. We do not find the kingdom. We want to look at further scripture as we allow scripture to interpret scripture for us to back up this claim in John chapter 6 verse 44. The verse will be on your screen. You can follow along as I read. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So as we go back to verses 43 through 46, and just like Andrew went and told Simon about the Messiah, Philip did the same with Nathanael. Now, as it pertains to everything that we're seeing here in the text, Frederick Lewis has an excellent quote. I just want to read this for you really quick. He stated this as it pertains to followers of Jesus making followers of Jesus. He says, One lighted torch serves to light another, thus faith propagates itself. Now, it's what Philip said in verse 45 that's actually truly noteworthy because he says, We have found Him of whom Moses wrote in the law and the prophets also wrote Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Basically, he's saying, We found the Messiah whom was prophesied about in the Old Testament. That's what he's saying. The Messiah that had been talked about, had been prophesied about in the Old Testament, we found him. We have found the Messiah. And what was Nathaniel's response to this? What was his immediate response? It was skepticism. I can't even say that word right. I practiced it all week too. Skepticism. There we go. Third time's a charm, right? Wait, we don't believe in luck. We don't believe in luck. We just break legs around here. No, not, not, not in the mafia sense. It's like before you go on stage, you break a leg. Joe knows about that. Broadway Joe. Skepticism. 46, what do you say? Can anything good be from Nazareth? This is like some of you longtime Lee County residents who you know, never lived in Cape Coral, saying, can anything good come from Cape Coral? <laughs> Pastor Jared's actually laughing. Somebody said amen. I think that was maybe Susan. I'm not trying to throw anybody, anybody underneath the bus. But just for some of you here, I know you're, you're newer to Lee County. There, there's a, a dichotomy between, Lee, between Fort Myers and Cape Coral and Lehigh. And I've learned over the years why Pastor Jared said Amen. Cape Coral residents would respond, though. Oh, yes, there is. There's a whole lot of good coming from Cape Coral. A whole lot of canals with a lot of access to the Gulf. I don't think we can say that in Fort Myers now, can we? No, there's some people here at Villa's Grace who take advantage of those canals getting out to the Gulf. See, Nathaniel probably had disdain for Nazareth. Plus, there's no mention of Nazareth in the Old Testament or the Talmud, or the Midrash. These are Old Testament, these are old ancient scriptures, these are old writings. 
So as we look at verses 47 through 49, and now despite Nathanael's skepticism, we see in verse 47, I want to read this again, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. See, Jesus already knew Nathanael. He already knew him. And before Nathanael knew Jesus, Jesus knew Nathanael. And again, what did we say? The kingdom finds us. We do not find the kingdom. Nobody's sitting here this morning. Nobody's listening to these words this morning because they found the kingdom. No, you are here. You are listening because the kingdom found you. And what does he say? No deceit. And this is referring, referring to Nathaniel's bluntness. Nathaniel was very blunt. As it pertains to his statement about Nazareth, we can see how well did Jesus already know Nathaniel, though? He said, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you underneath that fig tree. See, the reference fig tree here is where Nathaniel would go to study the ancient scriptures, the Old Testament. This is where he would go to read his Bible. So surely this is where he read about the promised Messiah. So here's the Messiah telling him where he was reading about the Messiah and said that I knew that about you before I even met you. The kingdom finds us. And we know this is all true because Nathaniel's response, what did he say? You are the king of Israel. This is exactly how the Old Testament referred to Jesus. The Old Testament referred to Jesus as the king of Israel. The very scriptures Nathaniel studied under that very fig tree that Jesus said that he had seen him under before he even met him. And in verse 50, we verify that Nathaniel came to a saving faith by witnessing Jesus' supernatural powers through that very transaction. And as it wasn't enough, what does Jesus say? He said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This was probably a reference to Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, verse 12. I'll read this for you as it's on your screen and you can follow along. Verse 12 in Genesis chapter 28 that's going to be on your screen here. And he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. See, in this verse, here's the point. Jesus is our connection to God the Father. That's what we're seeing here in the text in Genesis. And since we know from the entire chapter right here in John that Jesus' ministry was a baptism of the Holy Spirit who is the revealer, revealer of all heavenly truth, the one who reveals the gospel within us, he is the one that makes that connection happen. And that's what he's referring to when he's saying what he's saying right here. Now, as... Mike, Zara, and Leighton, join me up here. Let's all ask ourselves a question. We're asking ourselves, what is it I did? What is it that I did? What did I do to find Jesus? Where is it? Where did I find Jesus? The answer should be nowhere. 
and nothing. We found Jesus absolutely nowhere, and we absolutely did nothing to find him. Jesus cannot be found because never has Jesus ever been lost. And this brings us to our second point. The kingdom finds the lost, not the other way around. The kingdom finds the lost, not the other way around. Brothers and sisters, we were all once lost. We were all once lost. Again, our first point this morning said that the church is comprised of followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus. And our main point stated this this morning. Followers of Jesus testify that He is Messiah. Brothers and sisters, again, we were all once lost, but now we've been found. Just like we see here with the first disciples. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.